Welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode 16, I think, recording on March 29th, 2019. Happy almost April. Happy almost April to you. We're starting to get a little bit of spring. We had that, I had that day earlier in the week when you walk out in the car and it's that golden yellow and you get that sinking feeling. (laughs) Right. It's the time of year when it seems like the weather wants to murder you. Exactly. Our poor students have been coming in and just, yeah, we've been going through a lot of boxes of Kleenex. So, um, but it's nice because we're getting some nice, sunshiny, not rainy, um, warm days in the afternoon. Yes. This has been the rainiest winter that I can remember. It's so depressing to have so much rain and absolutely no snow. It's been wet and cold, but never at the same time this year. That's true. That's true. We didn't even get a little bit. Um, So, hey, maybe we should start off the podcast with our exciting news. Yes. Well, it is exciting, I think. It took me a while to get away from panicked and uh, terrified. (laughs) (laughs) We're evolving. We're always evolving. Right. But it is exciting. You know, a few years ago, my husband, Jason, who I talk about all the time, and my best friend, Shelly, started this amazing hybrid school for homeschoolers in Atlanta. And over the years, I think Jason and Shelley have kind of realized that what they really love is teaching. They are the best teachers I know, the absolute best teachers. Um, But they do not actually like running a school that much. And fair enough, there's a lot of stuff that happens with running a school that doesn't have to do with teaching, right? It actually makes it harder to be a good teacher. It turns out running a business is a lot like running a business. (laughs) So I've kind of been behind the scenes saying, I'm not doing anything. I have nothing to do with this and gradually doing, as Suzanne knows, more and more. Yeah, everything from the beginning. Yes. (laughs) And so one day at at the junior high, Jason took this semester off from the junior high. So Suzanne and I have been having a really good time together on Mondays and Wednesdays. And one day at the junior high, we were hopped up on coffee and (laughs) Coca-Cola is bigger than our heads, right? That's the standard for good decision making. And I said, (laughs) you know, we should just do this. We should just take it over and do it, do it the way we think is best and just let Shelly and Jason teach classes, which they're great at, and we can run the whole thing. And Suzanne, I I had her at a moment of vulnerability where she was all hopped up on caffeine. She was like, sure, that sounds great. (laughs) We're just so good at to-do lists. I just saw this whole future of me getting to write more and more to-do lists and checking things off. And it just seemed to make me happy. Well, and it is such a great project because while I don't think of myself as a great teacher, teaching is not the thing that I love. I do love coordinating big projects and planning (laughs) curricula. Oh my goodness. Nothing makes me happier than writing curriculum, which is maybe a sickness. But (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm happy. You just keep writing. I'll keep teaching. It'll be great. Although we're both writing and we're both teaching. So that's good too. Yes. And one of the great things I think for me as the editor of Homeschool Life magazine is that getting to teach, getting to work, getting to be a part of this hybrid school has really shown me the diversity of backgrounds that homeschoolers come in with, right? You get to see in action the effects of all these different learning styles. You get to see what, what really works great for students and what helps them grow and shine. And you get to see also the potential pitfalls that people can 
you know, run into if they're if they're not careful, if they don't know to look for them. And you can see the real differences between age levels and maturity levels. I know teaching in the middle school, I mean, there's a wide range just in there. And then going to the high school, it feels like a very big change, even though the, the age difference is, is hardly anything to talk about. Right. There's actually age overlap. Exactly. Two, right. Because it's not so strictly delineated. Right. And and I mean, they are with their peers, but it's a group of like 10 peers, not a group of like 300 peers. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, all these changes that we talk about and read about and see in our own kids, they're very real out there in the real world. One thing that's cool about having all these different ages is that um, the way the way that the school works and one of the things that I love about it is that it's not based on grade level. You don't have a ninth grade and right. a 10th grade and an 11th grade, because that is, I think, the one thing that we see with homeschoolers. But I think we see it with homeschoolers because they have the space to be that way. I think if we took a sample of any kid group from a high, regular right. high school and looked at it, we'd see that students just aren't on grade level across right. the board. People it's an work, imaginary thing. Right? Like a ninth grader might be doing 11th grade science and 11th grade math and college level history and eighth grade writing. Right. And that's totally normal. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I like the idea that you can kind of meet people where they are. And I think that's one of the things that I've loved about homeschooling is being able to kind of find my kids where they are and help them grow along that trajectory, not along some superimposed trajectory. Right. Which ideally is the way it would be for everybody, where everybody could get that individual attention and that individual focus. Um, okay, we should probably explain the calendar and how the school, I mean, we've talked about it before, but because um, the what the junior high meets two days a week, we meet on Monday and Wednesday. Yes. And the high school meets on Tuesday and Thursday. And Amy is really working hard on getting her days straight now that she's come <laughs> four days a week. Yeah, I don't know what day it is. So just this morning, um, someone posted a really nice comment on Facebook. And I was like, oh, well, it's almost April. I mean, it's almost March. And, of course, the person very kindly corrected me that it's almost <laughs> April. But see, I can't even tell the anecdote and get the months right. So. <laughs> Yeah, we just got to hang in there. We just got so um, so we meet for well the junior high meets from ten to about three thirty, and that's two days a week. And then we have our classes are critical thinking, math, uh, literature, history, science, and uh, cultural geography. We're having at the end as a stand-in for Spanish since Jason is uh, taking the semester off, and. Um, so we have two full days of classes, and then the rest of the week, they are expected to do quite a bit of independent work, not as much as at the high school level, but they are doing independent work. And then also, of course, they have the rest of the week to enjoy the homeschooler, you know, freedom to do right. what they want. Well, because, of course, the idea for the junior high and the high school is that you want to come to school to do the fun stuff. You want to come to school to hear your teacher nerd out about what's interesting, about what you're covering. You want to come to school to do cool projects and labs and activities with your peers. You don't want to come to school to do worksheets and read in class. So right. we give you the work to do at home that lets you come into class prepared to do the fun stuff. Although we, one thing that we've learned is that different kids need different amounts of structure. So 
the kids who really, I think, enjoy the school the most and, and really shine and are the kids that can handle, perhaps with their parents' help. Um, I mean, these are some really big skills we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, making that list, structuring your independent time. You know, we all procrastinate, but leaving enough space at the end of your procrastination that you can actually get your homework done. Right. And, you know, and if, and it's, I don't even think it's, it's necessarily a maturity or a skills level thing. I just, some people do better with more structure with going to school five days a week. So that's been a real learning process for me to see, yeah, people are different and people have different needs. And, um, and although again, our, our, I love what we're doing. It's, there's no one size fits all solution. Amazing. Right. <laughs> And it wouldn't it be convenient if there were? Yeah, I just want to find it. I just feel like, ah, I'm going to, you know, this this time we got it. This time we got it. But every effort that people have made historically to make one-size-fits-all education has been pretty catastrophically terrible. I mean, if yeah. you look at the history of the Department of Education, and these are smart people who are often trying very hard to do the right thing. Right. And it's just because learning doesn't conform to one size. One way of learning is never going to work for everybody. Right. Which is the way, I mean, I always come back to this, but the maybe, I think as parents, we beat ourselves up a little bit when we see something that isn't working for our kid and we can't know. And especially if our mind, as we've talked about before, doesn't work exactly the same way. So all we can do is kind of stay aware and be willing to try new things. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think that that is, that is what's so great about learning as homeschoolers, whether you're doing it at a hybrid school or on your own, is that you can really build education around what's important to you. But you have to be aware that there are things that students should be able to do independently, right? There are sort of core yes. skills that people should have. I know, I know I tell this story all the time, but when I was teaching the Odyssey, which I love, which is so fun to teach. I had students come in who were so excited, who thought that they loved Greek mythology and that they were well-versed in it. But the truth was that they just didn't have the background knowledge to actually understand and enjoy talking about the Odyssey. It wasn't fun the way they thought it would be fun because they didn't have that spine of knowledge. They didn't know about poetry. They didn't know how to read a poem closely. They had they knew some mythology stories, but they didn't understand how to read a myth beyond the story. And it was a real a real adjustment period for me. I had a really hard time kind of shifting gears and saying, oh, okay, well if you don't come in with this knowledge base, right. how how do we talk, how do we make critical thinking and critical reading and critical writing the focus when you don't have the skills yet to do those things. Right. Which is, which is a challenge. And that's something I think we're working on both in the middle school and the, and the high school. So let's talk, well, let's talk for a second about the high school schedule. So I come in at nine o'clock and teach the elective biology. Yes. Um, based on your fabulous curriculum. I enjoy writing the curriculum. Thank you for teaching it because I would not enjoy coming in at nine o'clock to teach it. And then I then I get to leave. So tell me about the rest of your day. Well, the first part of the day is all humanities. We call it the humanities block. And sometimes everyone is in the same classroom covering the same things. And sometimes we split off into different classes and people can kind of pick the track that they want to take. 
Humanities is a catch-all term, obviously. It includes, though, literature and philosophy, the history of science, and regular history. So this term, we're doing the Victorians. Um, right now, I come in and we start the day with book club. There are two different book tracks that you can pick. And then we've been covering um, the Constructing Queen Victoria, which looks at the different ways that Victoria has been portrayed both historically in her own time and in the present day, which is, which is a really fun and interesting yeah. class. And we've looked at um, gender and sexuality and how that's been treated in the Victorian world. And we're looking at class and how it gets treated in the Victorian world. So students pick from those history topics and they pick from literature topics. We've done Victorian poetry. We've done Victorian vampires, Sherlock Holmes and detective fiction. And it's we're such a rapping. fun year. Sometimes I just it want to is. hang around and listen the to The Victorians you. are my, I, I have to say, I think the Victorians are my favorite. I try not to be biased toward <laughs> one type of literature, but I do so love the Victorians. Well, they're so angsty. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they write big, giant books that have dozens and dozens of characters that I can yes. just read for a month at a time. That's what I love. Well, the novel is is the sort of the uber text of the Victorian world, right? It is yeah. the the most important literary work that the Victorians come up with. So we do humanities in the morning. Um, then we break for lunch. They have a nice big lunch because that's a lot. Just wrap your brain around. And in the afternoon, we have languages. We do Latin and Spanish in the high school um, and mathematics. So... Um, it's a, it's a pretty full day. It yeah. doesn't sound like a lot, but at the end of the day, they are tired. And that's kind of, I mean, that is the operational philosophy of the school, right? You come in and you work hard and right. then you have lots of time off. Um, right. We only have two 14-week semesters, which means that you literally have half the year when you're not in school. Right. So and that's time that's open to do projects. Some of our students work. Some of them go abroad. Some of them go to camps. Some of them do volunteer projects. They do all kinds of stuff because they have half of the year to right. pursue their other interests. But you have to work hard while you're while you're here. Like definitely it is not an easy <laughs> <laughs> those two days a week you gotta you have to show up and, and you have to be be engaged. Yes. And if you're not prepared, if you don't the thing that we ran into early on was making it clear to people that if you're not doing the reading and the thinking before you come into class, class is going to be miserable. You can yeah. you can immediately tell the people who 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 don't want to do that kind of learning. And that's okay. Everyone does it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we should be kind of focusing on the end of the semester, but I know you and I have been, I mean, the fun thing is to look ahead to next year. Yes. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot. Always fun. <laughs> and brand new to-do lists, brand new hold lists for the library. I love it. Whole new notebooks. <laughs> I know. I, oh, we have to talk about color coding for next year. Not right now. Not on the podcast. Yeah. Later. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that because um, I want to do that in the junior high too. Um, uh, well, you know, I mean, I just want I just want to make a little pitch for color coding. It sounds particularly nerdy, but especially for kids who have executive function issues or who are struggling to figure out how to get organized. Color coding is a really easy, really visual way to make sense of your to do list. I, I, It's great. It's not just for nerds. Color coding. It's not just for nerds. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by color coding. <laughs> it's not just for nerds. Um, so next year we get to talk about uh, the United States, uh, America. Right, it's our it's our U.S. year. We we 
follow a four-year cycle. Um, so, so our first year is the classics year, Greece and Rome. And then we have our European history year. And the junior high this year, that was mostly World War One and World War Two, And in, of course, the high school, as I said, it's the Victorians and we did the Enlightenment the first semester. Then we have the U.S. history year, which is next year. And our Asian and African history year is year four, which I love because I don't think that that's something that we really, most curriculums don't delve into that. Right. Right. I think that's very true. Trying to get at least something in additional, in addition to all the Eurocentric stuff. But, um, well, I'm excited because that means, let's see, first semester in the junior high, we're going to do the American Revolution, um, which basically... Hamilton is Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just Hamilton history. He covers the whole main stuff. It's fine. And uh, and then Civil War um, the next semester. And along the way, we'll be reading. Um, I haven't picked all the books yet, which means I get to spend the summer reading good stuff. But we're going to try to read some historical fiction. We're going to try to read um, that are set in those time periods. Um, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, And then what? So our science is going to be chemistry. Yes, for the high school and the junior high. What I love about the junior high history, I just want to say, is that we got to say, what do we think people should come to high school knowing? Like, what's the essential ingredient for studying history in high school? And so obviously the revolution and the Civil War, that's so obviously what you kind of want to come, you want someone to come to high school with those signposts firmly set. I mean, I think, yeah, as an American citizen, I think you kind of need to, you want to know, you want to have that basic pop culture. It's, you know, it is pop culture knowledge, right? We're all kind of expected to know who Washington and Lincoln and all these people are. And I think sometimes homeschoolers, um, if we're not careful, we can lose some of those really basic bits, because it, it, some of it times it just seems like it comes from the atmosphere. It just right. comes from around you. But if you ask more than like one question, um, there may not be any depth behind it, right? And we know they hit that stuff in traditional school. So I think it's good to make sure, all right, we're going to hit all this stuff. <laughs> we're going to make sure everybody knows at least a little bit about it. So they'll be all set. Yeah, and that's what we're doing with chemistry as well. We said, what do we think people need to know about chemistry? Well, you got to know the periodic table. So next year in the junior high, we are digging into the periodic table. We're probably going to spend most of the year just building a big understanding of the periodic table. And when you come out of that, you have an understanding of atoms. You have a basic understanding. You know, all of there's so much that goes into the periodic table. So I think that'll be fun. I'm a nerd. I think it'll be fun. Oh, and the really exciting thing, can we, ta- can we talk about the online classes? Can we talk? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, we, with the caveat that they are under construction. <laughs> under construction. Well, next year is all under construction right now. This is all, we're all, we're getting all the, I'm sure Amy's like written half of it already because that's just who she is. Well, but I, but I will also go back and edit it 43 times. You'll so notice that sure she's not denying that she's written half of it already. But um, I like to make things exciting and leave it towards, you know, the last minute a little bit more. But we had, Amy had the idea of, because we really want to do more online classes. We really think, we love doing our school. Um, we, Atlanta traffic is tough anyway. Um, so we like serving the people that we can serve. And if you happen to know anybody, let's say what Dunwoody, um, 
Yeah, Indicab or Fulton or yeah. Gannett, sort of that little triangle. And <laughs> you want to help our school keep going, you know, feel free to point them our way. If you happen to be in the Atlanta area, we'd love to to see some people. Oh, um, that would be wonderful. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, yeah. We did have, we have one podcast, podcast listener uh, come to the school and it was, um, we, were, we were so excited. I can't yeah. even. Like in the <laughs> wild, an actual person. It's kind of amazing. Um uh, but we know that there's, you know, obviously, if you're not in the metro Atlanta area, um, we just think that online classes can be the way to go. And we think we're going to do some side by side classes where what we're teaching in the school will be able to put that up online in the, in the form of recorded lectures and, you know, of course, all the handouts and all the material that you would get. And then I think uh, we were talking about like weekly kind of chat sessions. Yes, because I do think that the teacher feedback and interaction with an actual human being is, I, I know, you know, as my daughter gets into more advanced studies, that was one thing that I really wanted was other people's feedback. Right, right. So we're going to, you know, hopefully we'll have more information going up as that happens. But at least for the classes that Amy and I teach, the plan is to have side-by-side online options of those that will go along with what we're teaching in the school. Yes. I think it's going to be a really exciting project, and I hope lots of people will be excited about it. Yeah. Um, I think our, our classes are great. I, I know I asked a couple of our students what they would say, like to, oh, yeah? you know, if someone asked them about school, and they said the thing that they love the most about school is that they get no busy work. The work that they do is hard, but it all feels like it matters and like it leads to something. Yeah. And I, I got a little choked up. I was like, that's the nicest thing you could have said to me. <laughs> We're really trying. We're really, really trying. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. What other exciting stuff do we want to talk about the school? Well, we have the curriculum coming out, which I oh, think that's right. is also a big exciting thing. I am very proud of this curriculum. I do work hard on it and maybe a little obsessively, <laughs> but um, but I but I love myself the idea of a curriculum that's genuinely integrated, that covers critical thinking and science and history and literature and philosophy. And it does it in a way that that acknowledges that these things don't happen in a vacuum. Right. That like history is not over here happening in its own discrete compartment while literature is over here happening in its own discrete compartment and science is over here happening in its own discrete compartment. All of these things happen together and influence each other and shape each other and build meaning and take apart meaning together. And I mean, I kind of love that to me. The smartest people aren't the people who know the most, but the people who can make the most interesting connections between things. And I hope that that's what this curriculum does. It introduces people to those amazing connections. I sound very nerdy now. No, you sound... <laughs> yes, yes, you do, but that's fine. Um, wow. No, no. So, so, but you're talking about... So last year we had what, you, what you're calling the year one curriculum, right? Right. Which is the full year package. Um, that was available. And as you said, it covers all of those courses. So this is a, a written and bound curriculum, um, then plus additional resources, which includes your recorded lectures. Right, which I people seem to have loved. I've gotten really nice feedback from I only made it available to a handful of people. I stopped selling it when we got to 11 people because I was like, oh, no, what if I can't provide good support? What if, right. what if this is all a big mess and I have to rewrite things as I go? And um, so I 
the 11 people who, uh, who bought it have been so fantastic. We have weekly Facebook chats and they've been so supportive and encouraging and great. And I think their favorite thing is the lectures, mostly because when I have to talk about God, I refer to her as her. Instead <laughs> of him. I think the students take that. So, so I've been kind of nudging Amy. I, I think we're going to be able to open it up to a much broader range. Well, um, now that I have, I, you know how I am. I, I want to do a really are. good job. I don't want it to be sloppy. You have pride in your work. Be quiet. And I didn't feel totally confident that I would right. be able to support people in a good way and that it would work for everyone. And I wasn't. So so I appreciate the people who, who were almost guinea pigs, right? Testing right. it out. But it did go better than I thought it would, Suzanne. And so I do <laughs> think we could open it up for more this year. So we're hoping, don't hold us to this, but we're hoping the date that, that year one, um, will at least go back on sale is what June 1st I think yes I want to there are a couple of things I do want to I know but just a couple of things that I do want to change it's fine so and then also um year two will be available um so that's really exciting two whole years of curriculum that will be available this summer for people to dive into for the fall Yes. Along with, and then like I said, our side-by-side online classes are a little bit different. Those will come out. A lot of that will come out of the curriculum that Amy's writing, but you know, they're also, so that's more of an individual thing, or if you want to have the curriculum and the class, whatever. Right. Whatever. Um, I don't mean for the whole podcast to sound like a sales pitch, but we're really excited about it, I think. Yeah, well, it's a really fun project, and it goes so well with what we do at Homeschool Life. Because, of course, I mean, I I doubt you were worried about this, but, of course, Homeschool Life is still around. It's still my (laughs) number one job, my favorite kid. You have about 14 number one jobs, so. Yes, it's true. (laughs) But I'm... I mean, I often, I'm sometimes I'm tired and the work is a lot. And especially this year, kind of figuring things out with Jason on the mend has been tough. But then I think about like, what do I get to do all day? I get to go to school all day, right. every day. Which was the Whether, dream, right? Which was yes. the dream. Working on the magazine, doing the school, I basically get to feel like I'm learning stuff forever. And that was what I wanted to do. I used to cry on the last day of school because I was so sad it was over. I know, but I did. <laughs> and now it never is. Like, I'm, I'm really lucky. Well, I, I, me too. I mean, I think this is really the, the homeschooler spirit. I've been checking out all these books, these business books. I've never had the occasion <laughs> to read business books before. And um, I feel it's it's really exciting to be learning something new and to give it a try. What the heck not, right? I mean, when when in my, my life am I going to get a chance to start a school to help to help start? Well, the school's been started through the hard work of Jason and Shelley, um, right. but to really help it, to help it keep going and to help it grow. And uh, so we're very excited about it. So please excuse our excuse, our enthusiasm. Yes. Well, and I mean, who could have a better partner in crime than Suzanne? She's so smart and awesome and excited about everything. And I make a really good to-do list. I am on top of the to-do list. I will say, I am... I am pretty judgy about people's to-do lists, and Suzanne's are definitely up to snuff. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Look, I use the word snuff in casual (laughs) conversation. Well, you know, not like I said, we've already been plugging all of our stuff, but but let's go ahead and have a little break to thank um, our Patreon supporters. Yes. Are the reason that we have really been able to work up the momentum to come back and do the podcast. Ah! Sorry, a cat just ran over my 
keyboard. I apologize for the screen. Maybe Amy can take that out in editing. <laughs> well, we should have done a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Suzanne's cats are recording with her, and they definitely are not convinced that her attention should be divided between yes. them and the podcast. Yes, that's true. That's true. So the cats are not supporting the podcast, but our Patreon supporters are. And we so appreciate them. Um, if you want to join that, that you know, exclusive but awesome group, you can find us at Patreon at Homeschool Life, right? Yes, yes. And you, uh, in addition to the podcast, which our Patreon subscribers get first access to, thank you guys so much. The Patreon also makes it possible for us to do other things. We can, we're, we've been working on a lot of reading guides. We did a free copy of a reading guide for The Hate You Give. Um, and we're working on other reading guides, and we're able to do a lot more posts on the blog. Suzanne's back with some library chicken. Ooh. It's just easier to prioritize some of those things thanks to our Patreon supporters. And we're so thankful for that, and uh, we appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So aside from, like, I don't know, starting running in school and a magazine and all that, what are, what are what's happening in your life, Amy? Well, you know, this has been, I've, I've been waiting to talk about it till I knew that it didn't go badly. This has been my daughter's <laughs> first uh, attempt at college classes, her first dual enrollment session. And I am pleased to say that it's gone pretty well. Yay. Yay. She's been doing great. Yeah, she has. Well, she's, I mean, I think she's great. I'm biased. But I was really nervous about college classes because I, I have seen myself that you can think that you're really well prepared and not really be well prepared. And there have definitely been some adjustments for her. I think I think one of the hardest things for homeschoolers across the board, and my daughter was no exception, was this idea that something is due on the day that it's due. There's a right. real looseness in homeschooling. Right. That doesn't always translate to college level work. And so. Well, it's true. Stuff- I mean, you know, we and, and the idea that in homeschool, you can work till mastery. And so you can take as much time as you want. And you just don't have that luxury in a more structured in any kind of classroom where the teacher right. has to has to manage it somehow. <laughs> And Shelly, of course, who, who teaches at the school, but who also teaches college, she has students come in every semester who just don't turn stuff in. And then at the end of the semester, after all the grades are in, they come in and say, oh, well, can I make this up? And it's it's far too late. They yeah. just haven't. Um, so, so it's definitely not a homeschool only problem. Oh, right. Right. That is true. But yeah, I was very nervous about that. And, and definitely, I think it was a learning curve for her, but the good kind of learning curve, the kind of learning curve where you realize that you can do something. And that's been, I think that's been great for her, yeah. seeing that she actually can do college level work and do really well with it. And she's very ready for it. I mean, I think she's yeah. ready for this next, and there will be learning and growing and adjusting, but she's ready. Maybe we even waited a little longer than we should have. Maybe if I had it to do over again, we would have started dual enrollment a little earlier. But I mean, that's a luxury. Right. Go back in time problem. (laughs) Oh, we have to save that that conversation for a little bit later in the podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) The time travel questions will come a little bit later. So I'm I'm pleased with that. I can't believe that we're starting her senior year next year. So we'll definitely more dual enrollment is going to be a piece of that. Oh, when and do you enroll looking... for that? When do you do all the dual enrollment planning? Now-ish. Again, that's um, what I was thinking. 
yeah, we're, so we're, we're starting to fill in classes and figure out what we want to do and set up her schedule. And we're also going to do a, at least one AP class and maybe two. I'm not sure she should do dual enrollment and two AP classes. So we're kind of debating back and forth right. about that. Right. But, um, and then just, you know, college applications and visiting colleges <laughs> and all that crazy stuff. I know you've been through it um, a few times now, but it's. <laughs> It's my first time and I am way intimidated and nervous. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how many other students you've helped and how many times you've been like the wise old, because I know you are in the high school, you are the college right. counselor, you are the person who holds their hand and tells them that it will be okay. And it will, it always will. And helps them pull all their material. But it, when, when it's your own kid, it is just a whole, at least for me. <laughs> No, no, it's so true because I really do believe that in like our students at the high school, like it's, it's easy to point them in the right direction and to reassure them where they feel nervous. Like, because I, because I see over and over again, like homeschoolers get into colleges. They do great in college. They're really prepared for college mostly. Right. Uh, But it's, it is, it's so different when it's your own kid. Yeah. And especially for those of us who maybe have a teensy bit of anxiety. I'm just saying, not that I know anybody like that. Oh, yeah, I don't think you know anybody who has a teensy bet. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my senior, my senior who has paid her deposit for Amy's alma mater, so she Yay. Is, she's just counting the days, right? You remember that last semester of senior year yes. where you've got yes. all your ducks in the row. You know what you're doing. You just got to hold on. Um, you do have those last few AP tests to keep you kind of honest. Right. Well, well, she's not. It's interesting. So she took. But this is this is like really inside baseball for high school parents and and teachers but in Georgia they offer both AP Lit and AP Lang but they only give you credit typically for one of those so she's not going to take the AP Lit exam because she already got she I'll brag she got a five on the AP Lang exam so um she can't get any more credit so hey she's just not going to take that second test because why why go through the stress right um which I which I I know I know Amy you would take that second test I, I would, but I love tests. Well, yeah, that's that's because, yeah, you're weird. So um, so that's good because I kind of feel like we have all had this deep, like, exhale of like, okay, we're starting to see what the future is going to look like. And um, she's just got to hang on and, and not fail anything. And, and that's not going to be too hard to not fail. And um, next week is spring break for her. Although, poor kid, she's got her wisdom teeth coming out. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so we're just kind of, it, you know, that, that second semester, it just feels like, like a slide, you know, everything speeds up as you get closer to May. Um, yes. and then my, my eighth grader who has been attending the junior high at the Academy this past week was the week that we went and registered him for ninth grade at our local public high school, which is the track that all of his siblings went on. And I, I don't know, I always feel weird about talking about it to homeschoolers, that transition kind of out of, you know, out of homeschooling world to, to non-homeschooling world, because do you, do you think that there's like, like a, I don't know. I remember when I was strictly homeschooling and we kind of look at the people who are putting their kids back in traditional school and be like, Hmm, Hmm, what's that all about? And, um, throwing a little shade on you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, it's like, nope, couldn't make it all the way through high school. (laughs) And I know it's not that way. It's just, 
different But choices. I think that that is the point of homeschooling is to make every year the best choice for your right. child. Right. And I think that public school can be a piece of that for some families, like for, for your son, who is great and smart and awesome and wants to be a mathematician. Right. Like our hippie liberal arts high school is not perfect for someone who wants to do BC calculus. Although it's I, not. I do think he's kind of got his fingers crossed that he's going to hate high school so he can come back to the academy. Because... Well, he has an open invitation. So, we love um... him. We love to have him back. Just so you know. But but, but I, mean, I think that that's true. Yeah. Like he has a specific set of interests. He has a specific set of skills. And there are places that can it's really obvious how some places could hone that better than other places. Right. It doesn't mean that if if we had a student who came and loved math and wanted to do math, we couldn't make something awesome work for them. Right. But it's also true that they have an entire team, an entire math faculty who's spent their lives obsessing over math. Yeah. And that's a great thing for him to get a taste of, whether he ends up staying there or not. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're still working on getting him into the math class. So this is the first time. I mean, just in case anybody out there ever has to go through this transition from homeschool to high school, you know, this is the fourth time I've done it. Um, it's always exciting. Actually, it's always gone super well. Um, I wish I could give some big words of wisdom that would apply. But gosh, it seems like every school handles it differently, even schools yes. within the same school district. Um, so this is the first time that we're going in and we're trying to get him tested so that he will get uh, credit for a math class that he's already taken. And he'll need that credit as part of his graduation. Right. So he's done the material. We, he feels very strong in it. We don't feel like he needs to take the class. But since we don't have kind of an accredited transcript that they can recognize, um, the only way you know, that we can get him to to have that credit on his transcript is to have him tested. And that's not through the school. This is through the um, through the school district. And uh, my guidance counselor, when we went to register him, who was super helpful and kind, and they have always been that way at the high school. And it probably helps that we have a little bit of a track record now. But uh, she used the And word... that you're going in in ninth grade. I think right. that is that's the time to make that call. Right, right. Definitely. If you're thinking about high school, gosh, if you can give it a try in ninth grade and, you know, don't, don't it's harder, so much harder to go in the other direction. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to switch back to homeschooling. But even this one little credit that we're trying to get tested is, is the guidance counselor used the term fiasco when she talked about the last time she tried to have a student do this process. Wow. So. Yeah. So, and it's not her, it's not the school, it's, it's the system and the fact that the system, I think, doesn't really, at least right here, you know, that we're talking about, doesn't, isn't able to deal with homeschoolers, right? I mean, we're just a little bit, because I think this is a specific, because we're homeschoolers, we have to get this test in a certain way. I think it would be different for a child coming from out of state or from the private school system or all that kind of thing. Right. Um, well, and I mean, with your son, He's a great test taker. That's a yeah. skill that he has. Yeah. So. It'll it'll all be fine. And like our worst case scenario is that he will go ahead and repeat that, you know, and take the class that he needs. It'll still put him on track to take the calculus classes that he wants to take before he graduates. And, um, and you know, but maybe it's not so bad that freshman year to have a course that you feel really solid in. Right. Um, I just, I just, the goal is, 
is since this is something he really enjoys, I want to help him keep that spark of enjoyment alive and not get bored. Right. You know, you don't, you want to, you want to feed that joy. You want to feed. Well, especially since the only reason you've been able to pry him away from our little hippie school is because of the promise of advanced math. (laughs) I'm just teasing. (laughs) He loves our little hippie school. I know. I know. I'll tell you what he loves. He loves going to school two days a week. Right. At 10 o'clock instead of. Exactly. 7.30. What time do they have? It's like really early. It's 8.20. Even before biology. (sighs) The school starts at 8.20. The bus comes at 7.40. Now that my oldest daughter drives, she leaves about 7.30. Um, Yeah. So, and then they're there till 3.30. And that's five days a week. We have some kids, you know, they leave the school and they go to, to traditional high school, they leave our hybrid school the two days a week and they haven't had experience with traditional schooling. And I always want to get an update from them. I always am thinking about them. Like, are you doing all right? Are you doing okay? Have you got the five days a week thing down? Right. That is is tough. That is, I mean, I mean, the the advantage to that is that you have so much class time to do things. And I, I know that I, I often with the high school, if we had extra days, there's other stuff that we could do and right. it would be cool. But I, but I love the two day a week model. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing they're able to do in the traditional schools is just able to really reinforce things, right. To go yes. over and over and the things that you need, there are certain things that you just need to have stuck in your brain and we don't have the luxury of time to do that. So we rely on the kids doing that independently. And sometimes some, you know, sometimes that's more successful than other times. Um, but it's really interesting, you know, these two years of experience we've had with a hybrid looking at, I don't know, I just, I, now I'm nerding out. I just think it's really interesting to see pe- how people learn and, and to learn better ways of supporting that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We're such nerds. But I, but I think that is why we have come to this, this particular uh, juncture in our, <laughs> what, our careers and our academic lives because it just makes sense. I was, I was going off the other day. Like I should not be allowed to post on the internet when I'm taking cold medicine. Oh yeah. But I'm so frustrated. This is kind of an aside, but I'm so frustrated with the idea that you can either do STEM or you can be a liberal arts. Oh my gosh. It's so dumb. It's so. I mean, as a, as a person who has both studied physics and literature and I, and loves both for, for different reasons. And for some of the same reasons, it's so annoying to me. Science can be for people who love books. Right. Right. Well, and, and another, it's another way that we track people, right? It's another way that we put people into a box, put students, I shouldn't say people, because these are, you know, put kids, you know, into boxes and, and, you know, it, that can be, so, it's so limiting, obviously. Well, because um, you were telling me about the idea of the vocational track right. in high schools, which is such a great idea. I love that. But you have to pick it in ninth grade. It's not like you get to go and try all these different things and figure out what you're good at. No, you have Make to pick decision. it. You have to pick it in ninth grade. And most of the tracks to like, because the, the thing, our school district, and I love this idea, our school district, it was trying to put into place this vocational system where students could come out qualified to actually take the certification tests in different areas. It's such a good idea. It's such a great idea. It's such a great idea. But the way they did it is they, you have to basically lock in your choice in ninth grade. And I, I don't like that at all. I would rather, I would rather they take that time if they're going to, and it isn't mandatory, by the way, there are many different tracks you can take. Um, 
but there's and there's a lot of flexibility. But in order to get the full benefit of the vocational program, first of all, you have to go to one of the schools that offers um, that particular program because not all schools have the same offerings. Um, and then secondly, you really need to have picked it ninth grade year. And that breaks my heart. I would rather see the kids. I'd rather see you do, I don't know, four weeks in as many, try a little bit of law, try a little bit of culinary school, try a little, I mean, just a little tiny taste. Because, well, because it is like locking someone in to your ninth grade hairstyle or right. the person you dated in ninth grade or your favorite music in ninth right. grade. Right. Like, which, and, and the older I get, the, the more I realize that there are some, like, I keep coming up with new jobs. I'm really happy with what I'm doing right now with Amy and our school. But every once in a while, I'm like, you know, I could have been this thing over here that I think I would have really enjoyed, but it never occurred to me. And it never came across your path. Yeah, it never came across my path. And and um, I originally got into computer science and because my dad was an electrical engineer and a computer science guy, and I loved it, and it was a good fit. But I, I think I did not realize what kind of tunnel vision I had. My dad was not pushing me into that. I mean, he was thrilled because he thought it would be a good match. But it wasn't even so much that outside forces. It was just my limited world experience at age 17. And just not even knowing what was out there. And I think if in high school, you know what, and this is something that homeschoolers can do, right, is if you can figure out a way to give your kids a taste of, of everything that's outside, we all have our own little uh, ranges of experience, right? What does mom do? What does dad do? What do the grandparents do? Um, aunts and uncles, all that kind of stuff. If we can get out of that, what a gift to give our kids to see what they might enjoy. Yes. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's very much like in the spirit of what we're trying to create at our little school is the idea that it's okay to try something and not be good at it. You know, so much yeah. this goes on your permanent record. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I love the idea that it's okay to, it, it's great to fail at something because it teaches you something about yourself. Right. Right. And it's just as important to know what you don't like doing as what you like doing. Um, yes, because and big life notice, choices. Notice me segueing beautifully here. Because if you could go back in time ah, and do it all go. over again, <laughs> I think we would all try more things. I think I that's think the, we, we don't regret doing things as much as not doing them. Yes, that is true. Hey, what book did we read? <laughs> I'm or so this glad you asked. or this. Uh, so we we read a collection of short stories edited by Suzanne's favorite, the Vandermeers, yep. um, called The Time Traveler's Almanac. It's a collection of time travel stories. And I have to admit, we, did, we didn't talk about it on the last podcast because I had not read it. I still haven't finished it, although I did get like 500 pages in. So it's we a, have some stuff to talk about. It's actually a pretty huge book I mean when I started reading it I I was reading it on my Kindle and like the percentage just never changed (laughs) I I was like like, I've been at 20 percent for a month it's like 950 pages and and, yeah and yeah um so it's all time travel stories it's all I'm really I'm really curious to hear what you thought of it Amy because this is some hardcore genre stuff by which I mean some hardcore science fiction fantasy genre um, there are some classics in here. 
like I, Death Ship by Richard Matheson and H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Machine and a little um, Douglas Adams about Zaphod. Yes, uh, all of so those. Things that you'd expect. And then there's and then there's genre classics that you're familiar that if you're an old science fiction fan, you have at least heard of these, even you know, even if you haven't necessarily read them. Um, there's the Ray Bradbury story, A Sound of Thunder. A which, classic. Which is the classic if you you know, if you go back in time, he steps off the trail, he crushes a butterfly and he comes back and everything in the world has changed. Um, it's such a great story. It's such, it's kind of a cliche now because you'll see it used. I mean, I think the Simpsons did an episode on it and, um, and everything, but it was, it's definitely a classic of the genre. I always forget that it's a Ray Bradbury story. I shouldn't cause he's awesome, but I always forget that it's, a, um, it's, uh, one of his stories. Um, vintage season. I don't know if you remember vintage season. It's by Kuttner and Moore and it is another science fiction genre classic. Um, ah, I did. I did not know that because of yeah, course, this is the one you'll see because you know, I've, I've been reading this stuff forever and I read books on science fiction as a genre and all this kind of stuff. And this is one of the, the classics. And the premise is that basically that these these future uh, people who have learned how to do time traveling, use it, use it uh, for for tourist purposes. And they're traveling back to experience like the perfect May and Right. The perfect summer. And they, you, you are hearing, you are uh, reading the story from the perspective of someone, you know, in the current time who is basically renting out his house to these travelers. But um, that's a classic of the genre. Um, yeah, that was a really odd and interesting story. I, it's the one where there's the, um, the musician. Yes. Right. The composer who, who's making music based on these horrific and wonderful events in history it was yeah that, I global that was catastrophe really you know yeah. his his big um yeah well some of, like i said some of the genre classics you'll find i mean they may or may not hold up as like really good short stories objectively a lot of them are just you can see this is when an, it's it's almost like you can point to oh this is when a new idea came into the canon, right? Or came, came around and vintage season was one of them. Um, Theodore Sturgeon's yesterday was Monday um, is one where someone goes to sleep on Monday night and accidentally wakes up Wednesday morning. Do you remember that one? Yes, that is. I, I mean, that is kind of a, that is kind of a trope, right? Where you wake up in the wrong time. Right, right. Well, this is like one of the first ones in the science fiction where he wakes up and he sees the sets being built and torn down. And it's a fun little story. As Stephen King later did a story. Um, the Langoliers. The Wait, Langoliers. It- uh, same idea. Um, and he probably, I don't know if he read Sturgeon or not. If he did, I'm sure. He, King is so good about um, about talking about his his inspirations yeah. and um, acknowledging all of those. Um, but I was surprised. Okay, I have to talk about the one story that isn't in here that I expected to be in here. Okay. Actually, you could pick from two. And then I'm going to let you talk, but I have to talk all about my genre stuff. Um, it's Robert Heinlein's written two famous time travel stories. They're kind of closed loop stories. And I'll, and um, one is By His Bootstraps. And my favorite is All You Zombies. And um, they're not great short stories, just kind of 
objectively, but the ideas in them are a lot of fun. And I, I have to imagine that they couldn't get the rights or something because one of them should be in this collection because it is such an all-encompassing collection. Um, All You Zombies is one, so you've heard about the time travel paradox where you go back and shoot your grandfather or something like that. Right. In this one, this man starts traveling through time and actually discovers that he is his own father. And actually, he's his own mother, too. Um, and it's complicated, but, you know, it turns out he was a hermaphrodite and all this. And this is written back in the 50s. And there's all this stuff going on. And eventually he learns and we learn as readers that he is everyone you've encountered in the story and everyone in his life was himself on a different time track. Oh, weird. And the last, the last line of the story is, I know where I came from, but where did all you zombies come from? Um, and it's just, it's, it's this fun, and by his bootstraps is another short story, kind of along the same lines. It's, it's a very fun little time travel story, just kind of taking that one trope and just exploding it, right? Just blowing it up as big as you can. So, um, so that was the one story I was surprised not to see in here. Uh, maybe it is because Robert Heinlein is horribly, horribly sexist. And they <laughs> well, there is that. Although I read a biography, oh, I don't need to get on a Heinlein, Heinlein sidetrack. Man, he was an interesting guy, right? Totally into free love, totally into a lot of really interesting things. Um, also, tiny bit fascist, you know, just a tiny bit. I mean... Only on Tuesdays, right? <laughs> Only on Tuesday. Um, I he's he's one of my foundation. Him and Isaac Asimov; those are the two guys that that got me into science fiction. Um, and I have a, a love hate relationship with Robert Heinlein. No, um, that's fair. I think he's one of the people who drove me away from science fiction because right. I was so, I was so I I couldn't right. You either you either can get over it, you can appreciate what he's doing. Or you can't get over it and appreciate it. Like, I, there's no either. It, it well, is and it or. helps if you start reading it when you're 11 and 12. Right. Which is what I did. which So I was not reading this stuff with a critical eye at all. It's actually, Heinlein is one of those authors that, authors that I started reading at 11 and 12 with no critical eye. And then I was still reading him at age 18, 20, 25 when I was developing that kind of um, critical thinking and thinking about the works. And it was kind of a heartbreaking experience to fall out of love with him a little bit. Yeah. Oh no, that's the worst. I mean, I have that with Laura Ingalls. Oh yeah. Wilder where I, I loved it so much, but I don't, I, I, there's so many problems I see with it as I get older and, and I'm not sure that happily, I think the world is changing around us in a way where those books don't, my children see the problems in those books that I didn't see. Right. And so they, they might not, they probably won't pass them on to their children the same way. And right. so those things will, but yeah, it, it's really hard. It's hard. Well, so this was a very genre collection. So I'm curious, what did you think? What did you enjoy? It or was, enjoy? but what I liked about it is that the authors picked stories that emphasized character over mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't all about how does, the time travel apparatus work. Right. 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 Um, it, it was more about how does it affect people? And that is always something that I can be interested in. I, when I, when I run into problems with hard science fiction, it's often because the idea becomes more important than the characters. And right. then it's 
harder for me to buy all in. Well, and there's so much science fiction that is like that, right? All Basically all of Isaac Asimov, <laughs> um, who is still, you know, I still have a soft spot in my heart, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I mean, I like the Vandermeers as editors. They, they also do a good job, I think, of looking outside of the United States and Britain. Right. Authors, not so much in this collection. I've read other collections of theirs where they're presenting the first translation of a particular story in English, which I'm always so impressed by. Um, and they they're they're also they're also very comfortable going outside, kind of like the timeline or the the genre box or whatever we might think of. Um, yeah. So you do get all the. You go. You always find some interesting authors that you wouldn't expect to find. Well, I was surprised to see E.F. Benson in here, who's yeah. not a, a di- particularly diverse author. But um, but I I loved Map and Lucia, which you introduced me to. But I didn't love In the Tube, the story here. Yeah. Um. I, but how could you? I, I think I went in thinking, oh, Map and Lucia, and then it's a science fiction story. <laughs> right, so, right. Well, and, he's, and you don't think of him as a science fiction author, right? I mean, he's not considered as, he just happened to write. And um, yeah, but it's fun to find, it's fun to find him, find him in here. What were some of, did you have some favorite stories? I really liked Red Letter Day, which is by Christine Catherine Roosh, who I'd never heard of. Uh-huh. Do you remember that one? It's the one where people could write letters to their future selves. Yeah. Yeah, that they get on the day that they graduate from high school. And there's a specific counselor who comes in to help people who don't get the letter from their right. future selves, right? Which could mean any number of things, right? but which certainly means that for some reason, your future self has chosen not to, or has been unable to communicate with you. Right. And I thought, I thought that it was really interesting is because it kind of, it kind of plays with the idea that the past can be changed, but there's also Right, because that's because you get to write this letter to your past right. self. Right, 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 right. Enough. Which we all um, like to do, right? That's another trope that what if you could actually do that? What if you could actually? So this story kind of takes that idea and, and plays plays with it, plays it out. Right, right. But also the idea that, that maybe in some cases changing it isn't always the wisest thing. Right. Um, I also really liked Lube. Which 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 snuck up on me. It was like weirdly effective. Uh-huh. It's um it's the story where uh there's this monstrous person who's affected the history of this family. They he sort of sort of changed what was supposed to happen. So um do you remember it? There's the old house and the old factory. I don't know if I got to that one on this read. On this it's very weird. And it's very much about the idea that the past and the future can both be changed. Right. And that that there, there are people who have the power to do that without even realizing it, who can who can change it. And it it was really odd and interesting. I don't even know how to explain it. There was another story earlier on that plays with that idea. Like, um, the idea that once time travel becomes possible, you could be stalked essentially by someone right. like because uh, because uh, we're we're talking about the man the man who wanted to marry the woman you ended up marrying. So he goes back and keeps messing with things to try to change the future, which is an right. interesting idea. Yeah, I I I like that. I think that's one of the most interesting pieces about time travel. Is what do you do if if you get there, right? Like right. if you can travel in time, like should you? Would you right. want to? Right. I also really liked uh, Triceratops Summer. I just found it 
really charming and fun. That's the one where suddenly one day there are all these triceratops crossing the road and they oh, have yeah. to reset, reset time, but it makes people think about like, what should we do with our lives? You know, Right. Right. It's just a fun little, yeah. I thought it was a lovely collection. I really, I mean, of course, with short stories, the great thing is that even if it's a miss, you don't finish it feeling like you invested uh, all this time and energy into it. It's like, oh, well, that was a miss. Right, right. And you can, it's a great way to find new authors. I always end up with a couple, a handful of authors that I haven't run across before, um, writing them down, going to see what else they've written. Um, so that's the way. And of course, um, if you haven't read Connie Willis's time travel, she's got her, like, I think this is a very first story, Firewatch. Yes. That she wrote in this, that what will eventually become her universe over several novels. Um, oh, and the Ursula Le Guin story in this is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. It's so sort of dreamy. And, oh, I really liked the Ursula Le Guin story. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. And the, the, the tone changes a lot. The mood changes a lot. There's a couple stories of people who are refugees um, that, wow, kind of hit me hard. Um, in this case, they're not refugees from a particular place. They're refugees from a particular time. And, uh, yeah. So this it's a it's a fun collection. I, I recommend it, and always feel free to skip a story if you don't. I think that sometimes pe- okay. I read everything. I just do. I have. I'm not proud. It's just. I'm not bragging. It's just compulsive. But no, like, I'm the same way because I once I've started, I'm always I'm always thinking that it could get better or right. it could get more interesting or oh, it, I, it could be worth it. When I give up, no, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> I just well, especially with short stories, like you say, it's like it's only ten more pages. I can hold out for ten more pages. Novels, I will give up on. I usually go see what happens in the end, but I'll give up on them. But you know, if you're ju- if you're starting to read a giant short story collection, you should always give yourself permission to now nah, can skip this one because otherwise you can kind of end up bogging down halfway through, and you don't find like the handful of gems that you know that that are great that are there just for you. <laughs> right. Reading, reading short story collections should feel like eating chocolates, right? You yeah. can skip the coconut ones. Yeah. I, I don't like the coconut ones. You're allowed. I'll eat your coconut ones. That's fine. Okay. I will hide the peanut butter ones so they don't kill you. Thank you. I appreciate it. What are we going to read next time? I think, what do you think about reading a middle grades book? I have been wanting to read Shiverton Hall by Emerald Fennell, and it seems just right for this hectic, busy end of school section. <laughs> I love about, the title. It's about a spooky private boarding school. Oh gosh, you've got me. It's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. I think it's. I think it should be interesting, and it's written by um, Emerald Fennell, who is one of the stars of uh, Call the Midwife, and another seems awesome to be thing. all yeah. around very cool. So that sounds great, and I promise you, I will be able to read the entire thing. I think that I can probably get through an entire middle grade novel before our next podcast. Well, truthfully, that's all I feel I can commit to. This is always the busy <laughs> time of year, right? Easing into final season. Oh gosh. Well. Um, Good luck on everything that's coming up. Yes, we're going to be awesome. And um, I guess I guess that's a wrap for this episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy. Slightly disjointed, but full of interesting stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine and our fabulous Patreon supporters. We will be back next month on Less Cold Medicine, Better Organized, and with more conversation about the places where home, school, and life intersect. Have a great week. Bye.